University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. Well, I have something very exciting coming up this week. I think it's on Wednesday. I am scheduled to get a new dishwasher. Now, to some of you, that probably sounds like the most boring thing in the universe, but to others, you might understand my excitement. See, for about a month, I've been without a dishwasher in my house after it broke. Now, I'm not surprised that it broke because it's maybe 40 years old. So actually, I was a little relieved when it did, mostly because I am renting the house that I'm in and I don't have to pay for a new one. But in the last month, I have found that it's been more difficult to keep up with the dishes because, yes, I'm a bit spoiled and I enjoy just throwing them in the machine and pressing a button. And I did okay for about a week. Then I got busy. And one day the dishes stayed in the sink. And then the next day's dishes didn't have room in the sink, so they ended up on the counter. And you know how this goes. The slow, dreadful creep of messiness began to take over. Now, before you think that I'm a complete slob, and I can probably point to some folks in the room that could vouch for me on this, I actually like to keep my house really clean most of the time. It certainly was a bit untidy for a bit by my standards those few weeks, though. I like things to be neat, organized, a bit uncluttered if I can manage it. I have a hard time focusing on work, for instance, when my desk is a mess. I'm one of those people where my physical environment often parallels, maybe dictates, my mental environment. Now, there's some things you may feel similarly that I'm comfortable with being a little bit messy, a little bit less neat and tidy, but my home and my workspace, I prefer to keep really clean and organized. Now, we're beginning a new sermon series today called Telling Tales, Teaching in Parables. And as you may expect, we'll be looking at the parables of Jesus. Now, for those who like things a little neat and tidy like I do, it might be helpful to prepare yourselves for a little bit of messiness. Parables are often challenging, a bit obscure. They don't usually come neatly packaged with a nice bow on top. And in fact, they often provoke more questions than answers, which, as we'll talk about, is one of Jesus' primary intentions. Parables are not necessarily easy to understand, always. They aren't meant to be all the time. One of the reasons for this is that parables are not only meant to give us knowledge, but to give us wisdom. And wisdom requires more than just information in your brain. Wisdom requires your heart, your mind, your soul, your body. It requires an active process of learning and growing. So in order to gain wisdom from a parable, we have to engage with it. 
wrestle with it, and maybe attempt to put it into practice in our lives. So we'll start our series today with a very familiar one. One scholar has said that this parable is the parable about parables. It's one that we can go to to understand how Jesus uses all of his parables. It's the parable of the sower sometimes referred to as the parable of the four soils. And I invite you to hear it now as I read from Luke chapter 4. When a great crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from one city after another, he spoke to them in a parable. A farmer went out to scatter his seed. And as he was scattering it, some fell on the path where it was crushed, and the birds in the sky came and ate it. Other seed fell on rock. As it grew, it dried up because it had no moisture. Other seed fell on thorny plants. The thorns grew with the plants and choked them. And still other seed landed on good soil. When it grew, it produced 100 times more grain than was scattered. And as he said this, he called out, Everyone who has ears should pay attention. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he said, You have been given the mysteries of God's kingdom. But these mysteries come to everyone else in parables, so that when they see, they can't see, and when they hear, they can't understand. This is the word of the Lord. Our parable today on the surface seems straightforward. The parable proper is the part that comes earlier where Jesus talks about the seed being scattered and then there's some interpretation and some other things that happen around it. But that parable seems pretty simple. And on one level it is. There's some seed that a farmer scatters around on various types of soil but the ones that do the best are the ones that land on good soil. Right after the passage that we just read, Jesus offers an explanation. The seed is God's word, he says. There are various types of people in various situations in life. Some who might be confused, some who are distracted, some who succumb to temptation. And then there are those who hear God's word and commit themselves to it with a good and upright heart. They are the good soil. They bear fruit. Simple enough. And yet, if you've read parables before, you should probably be used to this by now. But the moment you think you have a handle on understanding parable is the precise moment that you might need to reflect on it a little bit more. Because the point isn't always the point. The point is usually that we continue to reflect on it. That it continues to open new meanings for us. It opens conversation rather than closing it. Our text today says that Jesus was speaking to a large crowd. This large crowd that was following. And he basically tells them this. A farmer threw some seed out, and it landed all over the place, and the only seeds that produced abundant fruit were the ones that landed on good soil. 
And all the people said, duh. That's just common sense, right? At least I would imagine that's what his listeners were thinking. Agriculture was a very important part of their lives. And even if not everyone in the crowd was a farmer, they all probably knew how this process worked. You need good soil, you need some seeds, maybe some water, and things grow. Jesus simply described the process of a farmer beginning the growing season. There's not much new information here. The disciples, though, they've been with Jesus a little while, and they suspect there's something more going on here. You may have heard of Fred Kraft, very famous, very good preacher. He, he writes this about the parable. He says, while the crowds wonder why Jesus has told them what they already know, or why they may not really know what they think they know, or wonder what might be the key to deeper insight, the disciples among them raise their hands. Teacher, what does this parable mean? The fact that they asked is very important. Real understanding, Craddock writes, is antiphonal. It doesn't occur without a response. Antiphonal is simply a fancy word that refers to a call and response relationship. We do it in worship almost every Sunday. There's a leader part and then a congregational part, a call and a response. Real understanding, Craddock says, doesn't occur without a response like what the disciples give to Jesus. And how do they respond? With a question. They didn't respond by saying, yes, Lord, that is true, amen. True faith doesn't mean that you simply take whatever Jesus says at face value, believe it, and then move on. Because if we're honest, and I'm being honest about myself here, that's not often very easy to do. Sometimes we really just don't believe it, or we have questions about it, or we have doubts, or we struggle with it, or we don't understand it. And if that's the case, faith requires us, not discourages us, but requires us to ask good questions about it, to wrestle with it, to engage with it. And the disciples ask Jesus to tell them what it means. They don't get it. There's a distinction here between the passive crowds who simply sit and listen and receive, waiting for Jesus to give them all the right answers, perhaps, and the disciples who were actively engaged in the process of learning and growing as they followed Jesus. They've been through this before. They recognize that Jesus is telling this parable to get a reaction. To spark curiosity. Think about a teacher that you've had in your life, a really good teacher. A good teacher is someone who doesn't just communicate information, but who sparks the curiosity of a student, who causes them to want to continue learning 
to continue digging deeper? Well, the flip side of that question, and the teachers in the room might long for a full classroom of these students, the flip side is what is a good student like? A good student, such as the disciples here, is someone who takes that invitation by asking questions, by engaging, by digging deeper and claiming an active role in the learning process. And this is why Jesus uses parables. He seems much more interested in helping his disciples engage and take an active role in the process of growing rather than simply giving them the right answers. Because the right answers don't do you much good if you don't know how to apply them in your life. It takes work. So, one obvious question among many might be, well, what does a good response to this parable look like? The parable of the sower. It seems simple enough to respond, to be engaged, to be honest, to wrestle with it, to be the good soil. If you've ever grown anything, you'll know that producing good soil takes hard work doesn't just magically happen. I mean, yeah, you can go down to Louisiana Nursery and buy a really expensive bag of whatever the soil is, but somebody has taken a long time to make that soil good soil. Tending and tilling and careful attention was paid to it. Think back to the parable again. The hardened path that some of the seed falls on is Maybe like a person who doesn't hear, or who hears the word, but doesn't really spend time with it, allowing it to sink in. Or the rocky soil. It's so hardened that the roots can't grow anywhere. Or the thorny plants are so distracted and divided, and they can't devote the full measure of their resources to the seeds that really matter. But the good soil is light, open, plenty of room for roots to grow. We might say these are the kinds of people who are open to God, who allow room in their hearts for God to grow roots. They're the ones who have nutrients ready for when the seed is planted. They've prepared themselves through prayer, through study, sacrifice, and service, and made their hearts ready so that when the seed comes, it grows. So when it comes to these parables that we'll look at over the course of this series, like the disciples asking Jesus, what does it mean, pondering the parable, the good soil is like the person who turns it over and over and over again in their hearts, tilling and retilling the soil, considering and reconsidering so I invite you, don't just take the parable and what we say from the sermons and leave and never think about it again. Take it home with you and ponder it and wrestle and ask questions and maybe disagree even. It might mean perhaps never being truly satisfied. Never thinking that you found the answer. The seed of God's word is being scattered in countless places. And our task 
is to prepare ourselves to be the soil that can receive it. And yet, if it were that simple, it wouldn't be a parable. See, that makes it sound like it's all up to us. After I've just given that challenge to do the hard work. The good news, though, is that while we can try to be the best soil we can, God is able to work even if our hearts are rocky and hard and closed. Maybe you've found yourself in that place before. Maybe recently. Wondering whether God could ever use someone like you. Or that you don't spend enough time in prayer every day, and you should. And you feel guilty about that. Or what could God possibly grow within you? In the tradition of Jesus' parable, I'll appeal to nature for a second. Have you ever walked down a concrete sidewalk and noticed a crack with a tiny sprout defiantly protruding from the human-made barrier? I think that's a little bit like God's defiant work for good refusing to allow us to stop his work of love in the world and in our lives. So ultimately, while this parable of Jesus tells us something about our lives, about how to be the good soil, it tells us something even more significant about God's kingdom. And that is that God will build God's kingdom. Not us. We simply get to choose whether we want to be a part of it, whether we want to receive it, whether we want to nurture it. You may be familiar with what's called the super bloom in Death Valley, California. Has anybody ever been to Death Valley, California? Death Valley is, for all intents and purposes, a barren wasteland. It's the hottest and driest place in North America, and there's not much there other than rocks and dirt. In fact, NASA has used Death Valley as a testing ground for Mars rovers because of how dry and barren it is. But about every seven years or so, Sometime in the spring, April, seemingly out of nowhere, a carpet of wildflowers will bloom. And it's not because the previous year someone went and planted a bunch of seeds. In fact, the seeds were sitting there the whole time, for years, dormant, waiting. And it takes just the right rainy season during the fall and winter before. And then in April, what we see as a dry and barren desert is full of seeds, just waiting to burst forth into life. And I can't think of a better image for the kingdom of God, for the defiantly hopeful kingdom of God. Things may look bleak sometimes. But God has grown seeds everywhere. 
your life may have much struggle and pain at times, but there are seeds of the divine in you. Maybe you don't feel like good soil. God can still work. And here's where the parable flips things upside down for us. Because at the end of the day, it's not really about you. It's about the kingdom of God. God is the one scattering seeds of love where there is hatred. Joy where there's sorrow. Justice where there is injustice. God will continue to do that work. God's kingdom will continue to grow. And yet there's a mysterious interplay between seed and soil. Between God's word and our lives. And the way goodness and beauty somehow thrive in the world. So this morning, this week, may the good soil of our lives give rich nutrients for the seeds of God's kingdom to flourish. But may we also remember that even on the hard, rocky, and barren soil, a tiny seed can sprout.